Hey, somebody grab me some clippers. This fucking beard is weird. Tough talk from a rapper paying millions for security a year. I think my dad's going. Yeah, Haley, you right. Dad's always mad, cooped up in the studio, yelling at the mic. Boom, people. It's Wednesday, which means it's time some echoes from the goddamn void. And uh, people, this week, oh shit, we got a good one for you. Shaking things up, you know what I mean? The direction, I'm trying to take things this year, because we are throwing in a conversation with um, Joellen Naughty. Yeah, she's an author, um, and um, you know she's got a got a very interesting book out, people. You know what I mean? So our little book section that gets a little shake up this week as well. So um, yeah, you know it's gonna be a fun one, that's for sure. So um, you know, before we get into all of that, and I think this one's gonna be a two-parter, but yeah, before we get into all of that stuff, um, <laughs> the Education Policy Institute and the Prince's Trust have um brought out a really earth-shaking report. Yes. <laughs> Ah, man, people, so they've had the, um, I think the revolutionary, um, you know, findings, wait for it, people, social media is damaging, yo, yo, I guess you didn't know that, right, you've been sitting in your ivory towers thinking, Hey, I'm going to kick it, I'm going to chill Have some time on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram Tiki Toki You know, all of those other ones out there That I have never even heard of But yeah, people It can damage your self-esteem Whoo, hold the press <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know I'm like How many times are we doing this? It's kind of crazy, right? I really do. You know, I I, I think a lot of these organizations, you know, they they just use it as a way to show we're doing something. Look. (laughs) So this, um, this report that's come out, right? So they're saying that, you know, boys and girls' well-being is affected at the age of 14, But then it says, but girls' mental health drops more after that. Which, ah, man, I always find it weird when you're making these big sweeping statements. Because effectively, by doing that, you kind of undermine anyone else that might, you know, have those feelings. You know, because it's just like, well, yes, girls' mental health drops. So, you know, there might be a, a, a you know, a boy, and he's I mean, be like, well, yeah, I don't know if it's that, because, you know, it's not usually in boys. I'm just like, listen, just say it. You know what I mean? Kids shouldn't spend a whole heap of time on social media. 
because it might not be the greatest thing for them, right? So, yeah, they're, they're, they're talking all of this, right? So, other little tidbits from this, it says, uh, one in three girls are unhappy with their personal appearance by the age of 14, compared with one in seven at the end of primary school. Then you've got the number of young people with probable mental illness has risen to one in six, up from one in nine in 2017. And then they also say boys in the bottom set at primary school had lower self-esteem at 14 than their peers. And, I, you know, I think a, a lot of this might be fair. But also, kids lie. <laughs> you know, what I mean? kids lie, and also remember, people, kids will change their minds from day to day, right? So you might talk to a kid one day, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I'm fine with my personal appearance." Then maybe a friend, sometimes not even a friend, but someone might go, oh, "Your nose is weird," and then the next day. You ask them that same question and like, I don't like my personal appearance. But then two days later, I'm happy with my personal appearance. It changes. Shit changes. That's what happens when you're young. You don't, for the most part, right? Now, you know, it can differ. But for the most part, you you know what I mean? Your viewpoint is a... um, you know, just a shifting surface, right, it's very, very malleable, so, yeah, having a, you know, a solid opinion on things, you know, that doesn't come for a while, that's why when you go back and look at people's, you know, tweets and shit they might have written when they're younger, you're just like, eh, you can't hold that as, you know, these hard and fast truths Because people will change But the other problem is We we need to understand, right? All of this All of this crazy shit It does help mould you Does help mould you, right? So there's that to consider As well as we can't just blame social media for everything. There needs to be a responsibility. Because, you know, social media platforms as they are, they're not bad. It's the people that inhabit them. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? That's where everything gets messy. It's the people that inhabit them. Right? So, look. You know, the fast and fast things I would say Yeah, there's certain things social media probably could do to help, right? So, you can't have anonymous accounts I'd say that, right? I'd say that you have to have a picture of yourself as your avatar You have to have your name Attached to your account, so no more, you know, slippery duck 73, you know, and shit like that, 
You know what I mean? Dark and steamy. You know, goofy goop. You know, like, no more stupid-ass shit, right? You've got to have your name. Got to have a picture. Trust me, if that was the case, people's interactions will definitely change. Not completely, but when someone can call you on that, you know, you write something shitty and someone goes, hey, Steve, calm down, right? Then you're like, oh, yeah, uh, my bad, sorry, I apologise, I didn't mean that. You know, like, people aren't going to come out and say, because people do that because, you know, they're hiding behind a picture of The Rock and, you know, <laughs> tall and steamy 75, right? So, yeah, they can write, hey, your last film was shit. Or, huh, that picture, you look like a fucking saggy piece of shit. You know what I mean? People will say that because hey, you can't pin it to them. So you change those things. The other point, right? So if you look at Instagram, you've got your main comment, which is large, and then all the responses are smaller. That's always a good thing. Make responses smaller. And make it that, you know, maybe only free show, right? So if you want to look at a, you know, a chain, you have to click in. But it, it doesn't just show up, right? Then, you know, it takes away a lot of the power people think they have with writing shitty things underneath. You know, simple little things. But that's it. I, I, I don't think that, you know, we we go and say, oh, all of these platforms are evil and they're bad and they're doing because they're just doing what everything else does. Right. They're doing the same as Google. Right. They're doing the same as just any other of, of these search engines or home pages or anything like that. They're putting certain information out there. You go to The Guardian, the BBC, New York Post, Washington Times, you know, Hollywood Reporter. They cherry pick the stories they're putting on their front page. Right? They're making sure that certain things are there and the placement of those stories. So if we're talking about, you know, Social media, we need to apply the same rules as we're applying everywhere, right? I feel that I feel that's the best way to do it. And um, kids are kids, right? So kids are gonna feel a certain way about themselves because we change, we change. And even as adults, there's times when you, you know, you can talk to any adult and there'll be times when they're, ah, oh, yeah, my, I'm looking great today. And other times, oh, man, my hair looks shit and, oh, god damn, my eyes look so tired and, you know, they're going to be critical, right? It's just the nature of things. So, yeah, let's stop with these bullshit reports because really they're just generalizations. They don't really mean anything. And they get written, but nothing ever happens. How many times do, do these things drop and um, then sweeping changes happen to improve our lives? 
Never. Yeah, that's right. Never. So, um, yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway, people, let's get this shit popping. Because as I said, we got stuff to talk about. And then we've got our conversation with Joe Ellen Naughty. So, um, let's go. So, I find it really interesting because Kieran Knightley has um, come out in an interview and, you know, said that she will never do a a nude scene in a film where, um, you know, it's directed by a man. And, like, yeah, it, it, it feels a bit weird, right? So, she said that... It's partly vanity, and also it's the male gaze, right? So, yeah, I kind of feel that's weird. Now, yes, you're going to get, you know, there's guys that are perps, right? But on the flip, there's also women that are perps. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... I I completely understand the move for um, intimacy coaches and and people to you know runs you know run these scenes when they're being filmed now that that just seems like the sensible thing to do especially when you hear certain stories that take place on sets you know things that happen and you're just like God. Damn, you know, also, yeah, you don't need 40 people, (laughs) you know what I mean, when those scenes are being filmed, right, so that, completely understand, completely get, and I also understand, not everyone wants to shoot nude scenes, you know, I I remember speaking to um, the director of uh, Premature, and, um, yeah, you know, that was a thing that we discussed because in that film, um, you know, the, the lady, she was more nude than the dude. And, yeah, it was like the dude didn't really feel comfortable showing anything, which is always an interesting one, right? But, yeah, look, it, it's completely up to preferences. And I always find it weird Right when you have those scenes where you're only seeing one person nude, and it's like people wouldn't like people aren't having sex like that. Now, like, don't get me wrong, people do have sex in all manner of ways, but whatever it's shown, right? You're you're seeing one person nude, and then the and it's all it always seems they the scenes always seem weird, and. A lot of times unnecessary So making all of these changes Yeah it's a smart thing It's a sensible thing And it's a needed thing I would say Right Now Like completely eradicating it Again that always feels weird Right When you're like I'm just going to the bathroom And then they pull the the, the sheet completely off And cover themselves And it's like Wait, I thought these people had been married for 40 years Like, why would you, you wouldn't do it, right? So, either show or don't But you don't need that scene if you're not, right? Yeah, it's weird, it's weird But, um, yeah, like, Knightley's whole thing that, yeah, is male directors, no 
women directors, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm not too fussed about that. Yeah, it just takes away that whole thing that, listen, sex addicts, sex weirdos, they can be anyone. It's not a, a gender thing. <laughs> Look, I have heard plenty of women have certain conversations when it comes to um, sex and, you know, dicks and all of that kind of stuff. And also, you know, breasts and vaginas. Women talk about it. Right, we, we act like only one set of people have certain conversations. Like, come on, what are we doing? Everyone talks about it. Everyone talks about it. You know, everyone has certain faults. It, it, it's just we want to pretend that oh, it's just men. It's only men. You know, and oh, you know, women need to be in love to have sex, and some, but not all. Right, so yeah, you might be doing a uh, a sex scene, and uh, the director's female, and that female director might be thinking to herself, "God damn, I would like to have my face in that." <laughs> you know what I mean? And is that any different from a dude going, "God damn, I'd want my face in that." You, it's the same motherfucking thing. You know, so I, yeah, it just seems like a, it's an odd, a very odd thing to um, set that standard. You know, just be like, oh, I'll, I'll strip for do, for women, not dudes. Yeah, I, yeah, I just find that an an interesting um, way to approach the whole thing because look I get the vanity side of stuff she's like oh, I've had two kids <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of feel that you know, I I possibly looked better back in the day right and yeah we everyone has those sorts of uh you know thoughts and whatnot even if you might say hey you look great now it doesn't matter you know it's you know how people feel so um whatever but um yeah i don't know now it'll be interesting if she does do a film and um yeah you you hear that the female director made certain comments right how's that gonna change everything up but um yeah, I don't know, people, what do you think about this? Now, I also think it's funny, like, she does seem to have some weird views, right? Because she supposedly banned her daughters from watching Disney films, but she said she doesn't like the way they portray women. But then, if you're doing that, you'd be banning them from watching uh, just all films, <laughs> because it, look, every studio, right, every studio have films come out, and you're just like, God, those, those women characters weren't very good, right, they were kind of one-dimensional, I mean, Knightley has played a lot of characters like that herself, you know, so, yeah, I don't know, and remember, one of her first films, The Hole, when she was 15, she took her top off in it. And her parents signed off for that scene to happen. And I remember watching the film, 
right? Because I was working in the cinema, I was previewing films, and it was like, what the fuck is that, right? Because it, 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 it had no real need to be there. It was this weird scene where she just whips her top off while they're sitting around. And you're just like, that added nothing to the story. Right? And when you realise her parents signed off for that shit to... It's baffling. Baffling. But yes. I am... uh, Yeah, I am definitely... uh, Interested. You know? So, um, yeah, if you have a view on this, leave a comment, people. You know what I mean? Share your views. Do you agree with Knightley? Or do you think Knightley is uh, a little cuckoo? You know what I mean? Let us know. (laughs) So, a big question on everyone's lip. Okay, yes, I understand. Hyperboil, right? It's not a big question on everyone's lips. No, no, it's not. But. (laughs) <laughs> it is um something that a lot of people are mulling over and that is the olympics right because you know tokyo were meant to hold them last year you know it was tokyo 2020 and um obviously they got postponed right so they got pushed back to this year and it's still gonna be tokyo 2020 now they will say a whole other lot of reasons why. But everyone knows the reason it would still be Tokyo 2020 this year is because they spent a gang load of cash on banners and promotion and sponsorship. So they don't want to lose all of that. So, yeah, they will if they can, they would keep the name. Right, they would keep the name, but I think now the question is can the games really go ahead this summer? Right, because you know, Japan has just, um, you know, they've just had to lock a lot of stuff down, right? Uh, I think there was a point when it seemed that okay, Japan seemed to have everything. Well, a lot of things under control when it comes to, the, you know, this pandemic. It doesn't seem to have hit them like everywhere else in the world. But then, you know, beginning of the year, no, it, it hit them, right? They entered a state of an emergency, right? So you're just like, ooh, okay. So even places that... You know, supposedly have got all these measures in place and everything. They're they're still having issues with it. So, can you say that, you know, because you think about the magnitude of people entering a country for something like the Olympics. It's huge. You know what I mean? It is huge. Right? I think it's easy-ish to host something like a you know a football game or like an NFL game, the UFC. Like that. Well, I say it's easier, right? It, I think it's easier to handle. Because that's tough. 
You have to create a bubble and put in place just a magnitude of tests, right? And you look at it and you're like, okay, so they might be dealing with, let's say, a hundred people. When you take, you know, the the athletes competing, then all the support staff and the announcers and just all of that, coaches, let's just say a hundred people. When it comes to, you know, the Olympics, goddamn, like a hundred per country, maybe, but usually even more when you consider the amount of um, disciplines people can compete in. So all of those people going to a country right now, like, how can you ensure that everyone can stay safe? Because, you know, even with the bubbles for, you know, the sports that are happening right now, people break them, right? Like how many times have... um. Basketball players, NFL players, you know, got caught breaching the bubble, right? A, a UFC um, fighter got cut. He got cut at the weekend, you know, at the weekend because they caught him on camera climbing out of his. Oh my god, friends in the sea, climbing out of his hotel window, right, to give his wristband. To other people to sneak them in You know So like People have to deal with like Crazy shit like that That was one person Imagine How many incidents like That you could be Dealing with when you Have Representatives From Every frigging Country Coming over It'd be insane It would be insane So They're saying that Next week they're releasing playbooks Right They're releasing playbooks Which is just like Huh Hey, What are you What are you talking about You know They think that You know, uh, it's meant to be laying out in detail the personal responsibility each person attending the games must follow. Doesn't mean they will. You can say you you have to do this and do that and bam, bam, bam. Listen, we've, we've seen not everyone will do those things. So, flying a load of people... A load of people somewhere for something of this size. It does seem a little crazy. Does seem a little crazy. You know? And yeah, it's I think it's really weird now because what some of the um IOC were saying last year, their tune has really changed. <laughs> you know, what I mean? their tune has Really changed now And um, Yeah I think look We've seen The countless Like countless Scandals When it comes to bribery in the IOC 
Like it happens all the time. So you wonder about Thomas back, right? You wonder when now he's coming out and saying that yes, you know, the Olympics will go ahead and everything will be fine and yeah, you're just like, hmm. How much money got paid into your account? Or how much has been promised to you? Because I don't trust a word that comes out of your dirty mouth. Right? Seems just weird. Seems weird that you've done this huge 180 on what evidence? Like, what evidence have you now got that you can say that you can guarantee the safety of all of these people? Because remember, it's the Olympics and the Paralympics, right? And there are definitely going to be a huge number of the people involved in both whose immune systems are a little shaky. (laughs) So being in such a huge group, it's not going to be the best thing. Not going to be the best thing. So, yeah, you kind of have to think to yourself, what Matthew Pinson is saying probably sounds, you know, realistically the best thing to do. Now, Pinson, he's saying, cancel it. Cancel the games, right? And move it to just have it in the the usual rotation. So, if, if logically... The next Olympics would be 2024. Right? Would be 2024. Now, it's meant to be Paris. Right? It's meant to be Paris. And then Los Angeles after that. But Pinson says, right, look. Let's just move Tokyo to 2024. Then Paris would go 2028. And Los Angeles 2032. 25, oh my gosh, that seems so long, you know, in the future, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, technically, that that seems like the, the best way to go, right? And, listen, you know, you know that if they don't, it's a, it's a money thing, right? It's a money thing, because I think what, it's estimated that... I think Tokyo have spent like 11 billion, something like that, on, well, I mean, when you take into consideration the moving everything for the, to this year. So, I don't, like, it would have been a lot without all of that, but including that, it's probably 11 billion, if not more. So, any push for the games to actually take place this year... It's money, right? That's the main driving force of it all. And yeah, if you if you move it to 2024, yeah, it is going to be a whole issue. But I don't really feel any way for the IOC. There's a bunch of crooked motherfuckers, right? Athletes aren't really paid, so you kind of think, well, fuck all of you. Because you, the IOC. They've got insurance, so they will recoup a lot 
a lot that has been spent, right, they will recoup all of that, you know, so now, I think all of this shit comes down to pride, and, uh, yeah, tourism and all of that, but, it's a mess, man, right, It, it just seems a mess, and, listen, Everything's getting cancelled, like Glastonbury, all the big music festivals, they're not happening, you know what I mean, like, nothing is of that scale, so, so, look, smaller things, you can control a smaller event, you know, so, once, you know, vaccinations, and not even vaccinations, but you can go, all right, before you come, you have to do a test, and when you arrive, you do a test, you quarantine, boom, boom, come to the thing, and then, you know, a test and you leave, right, you can do, you can control that on a smaller scale, definitely not with something this size, definitely not, you know, so, it's going to be, because they're meeting later today, right, they're meeting later today, I don't think we're going to get any sort of decision today. It will be like, oh, we're thinking about it. There's contingency plans. And, oh, we're going to do... Ugh, whatever. But there's going to be a point where you've got to, you know, go yay or nay. Right? And I kind of feel February. Right? Because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you leave it any later And it's like, ooh But, um, yeah, I don't know I have no faith in the IOC You know And Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel something Dodgy is gonna happen But, um Yeah, we will wait and see, man Because, uh It is definitely gonna set the tone For a lot Right it's definitely going to set the tone for a lot. Now, I do wonder if you could do something in multiple spots, right? If you maybe split all the sports up and you go, okay, so, you know, we just have so many athletes doing this sport in this country and those in that kind. Like, you could maybe do that, like, connect it all virtually and, you know... If you really wanted to do something this year, but all in one place, oh, feels like a mess. But uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens, people. We will uh, we'll talk about it when a proper verdict comes through. All right. I always think it's a little bit odd these days when you get these, um, yeah, you get these kind of articles, right? The, these pieces. And a lot of times there's someone who not everyone really knows about, but they start talking about how they're doing this revolutionary thing. But this supposed revolutionary thing. It's something a whole heap of people have been doing for the last few years, right? Now, case in point, I I stumbled across this piece on the BBC website, which is about Tory lines, 
right? She's an actress, and she's talking about, oh, I'm not shaving my armpits during lockdown. And I'm just a bit like, who gives a fuck? Right? No one cares. This isn't anything crazy. You know what I mean? Like, and she, I don't know, she goes on to be like, oh, I just thought, oh, what does my underarm hair look like? Oh, I've never seen it. And firstly, I'm thinking, wait, you've never seen it? Really? All right, whatever. And she's just like, it goes on about, oh, yeah, oh, I'm trying it out. Yeah, how crazy is that? And it's just like, what's happening here? You know what I mean? Because people, this isn't shocking. <laughs> you know what I mean? People have been doing it for a good-ass while now. Right? A good-ass while. You know, like people like, what, um, um, ugh. Um, Amanda Stenberg, you know, Miley Cyrus, Emily Ratson, Woshkushkushki, you know, her, Ashley Graham, you know what I mean? Like, Anastasia Enuk, there's a whole gang of women, there's a whole gang of women in porn, who, you know what I mean? I'm hit here, right? Don't you know, don't shave the bush, it's a thing, right, and people have been, as I said, look, doing it for a while, now, might not be for everyone, but I don't really think it's a huge thing, if you see someone with, um, hair, right, with some hair in places, it's just like, no one's gonna be like, get them out of here, you disgust me. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. I, I kind of feel that writing all these pieces about it and writing, writing the pieces in a certain way, right? Because this piece, it's not just, I don't know, it, it kind of makes it seem that, look at her, she's doing this taboo thing. When, if you just want to talk about stuff people are doing, fine. But don't make it seem that it's this, you know, unique thing. Because I think that, that in itself, you know, is an issue. Because you're, ma- you're ma- you'd like, I'm sure there's people that might read that and think, oh, I didn't realise it was, you know, just not a normal fit. Am I being weird for not doing, you know what I mean? You know, like making people feel self-conscious when, fuck it, do whatever you want, right? Now, listen, some people might not be down with it, but who cares? <laughs> like, really, if um someone doesn't want to date you because of, you know, something like that, then they were never going to be the person who is going to be rocking your world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? It is it, simple as that. So, people, just live your fucking life. Do the things you want to do. Because, hey, it, it's, it's up to you, man. Yeah, and if others don't like it, fuck them. Who cares? You know what I mean? Do you fuck everyone else, right? So, grow some hair. There's no issue with it. And it's not a hygiene thing. Because if you're clean, you're clean, right? 
if you're dirty, yeah, you'll smell. But you'll smell regardless of if you have hair or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've known people with no hair and they had funky hygiene. So, yeah, live your life, people. Live your goddamn life. Okay, people, so uh, the Costa Book Awards have just happened. Now, these started in 1971. So they've been going for quite a while now, right? Now, there's five categories. So you've got the first novel. Um, We've got the um, biography. There's poetry um, and children's book. Right, so the uh, the big winners this year were um, Voyage of the Sparrowhawk by Natasha Farrant. That won children the Children's Book Award. Right, so um, Voyage of the Sparrowhawk is an epic journey of police chases, storms at sea, and unexpected puppies. Set in the aftermath of World War One, it follows two orphans as they take their narrow boat across the channel in search of the lost loved ones and a place to call home. So, yeah. That won an award. We then have the um, the poetry award, right? So, this was won by um, Ivan Boland for the historians. So, throughout her nearly sixty-year career, acclaimed poet Ivan Boland came to be known for her exquisite ability to weave myth history and the life of an ordinary woman into mesmerizing poetry her final volume the historians is the culmination of her signature themes exploring the ways in which the hidden sometimes all but erased stories of women's lives can powerfully revise our sense of the past yeah i mean that sounds nice right Yes. The Biography Award went to um, The Louder I Will Sing by Lee Lawrence. So, it says, on the 28th of September 1985, Lee Lawrence's mother, Cherry Gross, was wrongly shot by police during a raid on her home. The bullet shattered her spine and both their lives changed forever. The Louder I Will Sing is a memoir about growing up in modern Britain as a young black man. It's a story of both um, people and politics, but also the positive power that hope, faith and love can bring in response. Uh Uh-huh. We then have the first novel award. So um, that went to Ingrid Persaud for Love After Love. Right? So, irrepressible Betty Ramdin, her shy son Solo, and their marvellous lodger, Mr. Chetton, form an unconventional household. 
happy in their differences, they build a home together. Home, the place keeping these free safe from an increasingly dangerous world. Until the night when a glass of rum, a heart to heart, and a terrible truth explodes the family family unit, driving them apart. Ooh, what the hell happened, right? Yes. Um, now, there is also a, uh, a, a short story award, right? So, this went to uh, Tessa Sheridan for um, her story, The Person Who Serves, Serves Again. Hmm. Right, so... um. Sal hasn't seen her brother for years, so why is he inviting her for a badminton match? Something is being played out, and winning isn't quite the point. <laughs> so yeah, you can uh, you can you know check that one out, people. But the person that picks up thirty thousand pounds. For, um, you know, the novel of the year Because, you know, that can only go to one person And this year it goes to Monique Roffey For The Mermaid of Black Conch Right, so, um, yeah, the judges seem to uh, love this one You know, calling it utterly original um, A delighted... Um, you know, classic in the making. Um, yeah, right. So the the gist of the book is this: April nineteen seventy six, Saint Constance, a tiny Caribbean village on the island of Black Conch. At the start of the rainy season, a fisherman sings to himself in his pyrrhic. Waiting for a catch, but attracts a sea dweller he doesn't expect. A K, a beautiful young woman cursed by jealous wives to live as a mermaid, has been swimming the Caribbean Sea for centuries, and she is entranced by this man, David, and his song. Hmm. Now, the thing is, if she's been living for um, centuries, what's the age difference here? Huh. Would she be um, a cougar? Can mermaids be cougars? Hmm. Who knows? <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. But yes, David rescues her and hides her away where she can slowly, painfully turn into a woman. <laughs> so, um, yeah, those people are the winners of this year's Costa Book Awards. So, um, you know, go to, you know, go to Costa's website, you know, or any other popular bookshop online or off, and I'm sure you will be able to pick up any of those novels. So, um, enjoy. 
Okay, people, so this week's chin check, it looks at LFA 98, which is headlined by Josh Freemd against Bruno Oliveira in a middleweight clash. Takes place on Friday, and uh, yeah, it's a nine fight card. Right, two prelims, and then the main card. So, um, yeah, we look ahead at that. So, uh, people, go check it out once you are done with this. All right, enjoy. So, I switched on uh, you know, Amazon Prime the other day, thinking, what should I check out? And what did I see? Star Trek Lower Deck. Which definitely caught me off guard Didn't even know it had, uh, you know, come out yet And, hey, from what I've just learned It's already aired in the US I thought, oh, we're getting it at the same time No, we're getting it later But it's all good It's all good You know, so, hey, I was intrigued You know, this, what, this is only the second time that the Star Trek franchise has um, jumped into the animated sphere. You know, <laughs> you thought it was never going to do it again since the first time was um, what, in the 70s. So, um, yeah, it took a little while to make its way back. But, um, you know, it, it's created by um, Mike McCain. I think that's how you say his name, Mahan. Eh, I don't know. He's um, you know, he's the dude behind Rick and Morty. Well, one of the dudes behind Rick and Morty. So uh, you know, Rick and Morty is hilarious. So I figured I'd check it out. Now, obviously, I wasn't expecting the same level of Rick and Morty for this because that's their thing. This is a franchise, so. There's confines that you have to, you know, stick to. But, hey, it could be a little bit different. So, yeah. I gave it a shot, right? It's 10 episodes. And they're about, what, 25 minutes an episode? Something like that. Um, so, it's executive produced by Alex Kurtzman, Heather Kadeen, Rod Ruddenberry, Terry Roth, Katie Krentz, and um, Mahone. It's um, CBS in the States, and CBS All Access. It's got a, um, yeah, it's got a fun cast, right? So um, we have Beckett Mariner. She's voiced by Towney Newsom, um, and she's an ensign, the um, daughter of Captain Freeman. Uh, so, um, actually, yeah, I should probably, um, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, Dawn Lewis, she voices Captain Carol Freeman. Um, so she, yeah, she captains the ship, the Sorrento, Sorrentos, who, which I thought it would be spelt with an S. It is not. It's spelt with a C. Yes. Uh, 
you learn new things every single day, right? We've also got um, Jack Quaid. He voices Brad Boimler, right? Another ensign. Um, we've got Noel Wells. She voices Davana Tendi, mostly known as Tendi. And um, she's an ensign, not human this time. She's of Orion, um, you know, origin. Uh, we've all go also got um, Sam Rutherford, who is voiced by Eugene Corderio. He's another ensign on the ship. Um, then we've got Jerry O'Connell, who voices Jack Ransom, and he's the first officer. Uh, we've got um, Shazaz who's voiced by Fred Tascaroyeri? Hmm. Now, he's a um, tactical officer, Bajorian tactical officer, should I say. Uh, we've got Tiana, who is the ship's doctor. She is Catian, so cat-human hybrid, and she is voiced by Gillian Vigman. So yeah, a decent, decent cast, right? A good set of um, actors to um, voice all, right? So the, the premise is this, the support crew serving on one of Starfleet's least important ships, the USS Sorrentos, have to keep up with their duties, often while this ship is being rocked by a multitude of sci-fi anomalies. And um, it's interesting in a thing because, um, <clears throat> so Mahone, he set the series supposedly um, just after the Star Trek Nemesis film. So it's kind of meant to be in that era of things. Which is why we then get certain cameos and the like. And this was because I think he's, it's, it's his favorite episode of Star Trek of all time, of all time, was a Next Generation's episode called Lower Decks. Yeah. So um, he enjoyed it so much that, yeah, that's what he, um, he wanted to do. Right, because I don't know. He said that it uh, it focused on the more social side of things, right? And he um, wanted to include some science fiction, comedic elements, but have that human factor all uh, all wrapped in. So yeah, that that's what he. Um, that's what he decided to do with this. And the Sorrentos, you know, they, um, their kind of thing is second contact, right? Because, you know, the Enterprise and, you know, all those other ships that we've seen in the, you know, the big series and all of that, they're always first contact, right? So 
as this is meant to be dealing with, you know, like the lower deck crews and all of that, you know, so you didn't want it on an enterprise type ship. So yeah, you're dealing with something that's um, second contact that goes and take cares of like, right, so now they've met and they've worked out peace. We deal with the infrastructure, the logistics and all of that kind of half and path. So, um, yeah, that's what this was. So, you know, it's not a bad kind of setup. It, it, there's an interest there, right? So you think, all right, let, let's do this. Let's check it out. Let's see what it is. And character design and all of that, it's okay. You know, it's, um, hmm, well, I, it, it's not crazy intricate but it's not basic you know what i mean yeah so it's a bit more in depth than say the simpsons but yeah not too not too crazy which i guess you know that must make it definitely easier to um, produce right but uh yeah no i think it, it all works right it all looks good and especially when we get the kind of, um, I think the sequences of battles and the ship flying and going into warp and all, that looks very good, you know? I, I don't know, it, there's definitely a, a different kind of effect when you get those rather than just everyone walking around the interior of the ship or, or that kind of thing, you know? But both work, right? both yeah just as enjoyable uh to to look at i would say um as the other you know and it, it's definitely got you know that feel of star trek but giving you know a little new design to the uniforms and everything like that so it's cool you know what i mean it is um yeah it's fun right um now the episodes right the first episode right it's called second contact and it, it deals with one of those things that you do kind of yeah i guess you worry about right so they go to a planet someone gets bit by a fly and it causes a huge infection on the ship and yeah i think that's that's one of those things that you think okay they're always going to these planets and all of that but what would happen if and so we kind of see all of that play out which is you know it's not bad like obviously you know it's all gets resolved <laughs> fairly quickly but it's a 25 minute episode so it is what it is um and we kind of we move around with different kind of concepts and everything like that, you know, like, it, it definitely tries to move away from a lot of the tropes that we've had, you know, within Star Trek. It's always been one of the things that irritates me the most, you know? 
just because you know, okay, so there's going to be the very formulaic person, you know, so we're going to have that. Oh, and then we're also going to have someone who's, um, uh, you know, very, um, like, battle and like, oh, I'm ready to fight. You know, and then the person is like, oh, we need to be in touch with our emotions. So, like, Star Trek always became very just, like, you just knew how everything was going to go. It was always boring. And every time they brought in a new series, those those types would be there. They'd, you know, change them around. So, one series, it might be a woman. The other series, it might be a man. Oh, let's throw in a robot. Oh, we'll throw an alien onto the team. But, um, yes, we'll make them an alien by giving them a, a nose ridge. Oh, maybe we'll give them different colour hair. Yeah, it was always just a little played out. So they've tried to move away from a lot of that. But we still do get it. <laughs> you know, we still do get it. And I would say... They do fall into that trap that you, you know, I guess we see it a lot in animated, but we also see it in just normal TV shows as well, where, you know, a character has a personality type and they're that all the time. You know, there's, there's no real change. You know, so if you have a character that's meant to be upbeat, so they're always saying, hey, really chirpy, hey, how are you doing? How's it going? Oh, super great. Oh, super, we got a new mission. Let's do this. Yay. And you're just thinking, okay, shut the fuck up. Right? It's one of those weird things because it's just like, all right, chirpy people aren't always like that. They can, you know, sometimes they're a little quiet, right? But... When you get into those, you know, a bullshit situation, like you're you're at work and you didn't find out everyone has to stay late because we've got to now finish this one thing, and they might be like, hey, it could be worse, guys. And, hey, we get to hang out a few hours more, you know, and then they'll just shut up and get on with work. You know what I mean? It's not all the time, right? But, yeah, for some reason, they don't know how to show that. Right, it's always something that's baffled me. That yeah, they don't really know how to properly show personality a lot of the time, you know. So yes, we do get that, but I will say it because it's just twenty-five minutes and it's ten episodes. It's fine, right? You can um, you can bear with it. It's not too bad, right? It's not too jarring. And it is pretty fun. You know, they do manage to make it fun. And I feel that's a big thing. Right? Because, you know, a lot of this, uh, like Picard, that was more serious. You know? So, yeah, it's always nice to get a little fun thing thrown in. Now, I don't know how many series you could do of it like this you know i like i feel you would need to change things up a lot and they did 
try and make some changes as the series went on. You know, being lower decks and we're meant to be dealing with, you know, I think originally when I heard about this, it's like, yeah, you're dealing with the yellow coats. You know, those expendable ensigns who, you know, you see going away missions and they're the first person that gets killed. Right? So we have that. So that means people need to die. Now, not many do, but we do get one big one, I would say. So that, they do give us that. Now, I would expect that more, like this probably should be a um, revolving cast. You know what I mean? Like a few of them do disappear every now and again and we get new additions and blah, blah. You know, being, yeah, they're meant to be those people. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't get seven seasons of just the same guys right and then you'd want to get some yeah disappear transfer all of that kind of thing so i i feel we did get to see that towards the end now whether these things stick going forward because when this came about it got two seasons right so i believe the second season is meant to come out this year um so it will then be seen if they, it gets renewed for a third and whatnot. Uh, I'd imagine it would, right? Because, you know, Discovery's, what, three seasons in? I don't know. if I feel I, I read that it got, it's been renewed for a fourth. I might be wrong. But, um, yeah, I'd imagine this gets more. But, you know, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they move it on. I will say the worst thing about this show the worst thing because as i said look story-wise script-wise yeah it's all right it's not too bad it's decent you know hold you down um as a late night kind of thing right i'm watching this shit at three in the morning because i can't sleep for shit you know and it works right keeps me distracted but the worst thing is the goddamn theme music the goddamn theme music it is soulless ugh like you feel that they really wanted it to kind of sound familiar right and most star trek related themes you you if it came on you you could think huh that seems like it's um star trek related right you know, you might not know what show it's for, but you'd be like, yeah, this must have something to do with Star Trek. And so it does. It, it sounds Star Trekky, but it sounds like they were trying way too hard. So now what we have, it, it kind of seems like it is the um, illegitimate of child of, you know, like discovery of next generation getting it on. You know what I mean? A brother and sister. They shouldn't be doing it. And they did. And now, as a result, they birthed this abomination. <laughs> yes, it's an abomination. It is terrible. It is terrible. But yeah, everything else, like, I'm, yeah, I'm down with it. Right? But I hate the theme. 
it is bad. But um, yeah, apart from that, I would imagine that, you know, actually, I don't know, right? Because it is jokey and all of that. Maybe those hardcore fans, they might not like it, but meh, who really cares? If you enjoy, you know, Rick and Morty, you, I think you might dig it, right? I would kind of feel that if you like Discovery, you might like this, for sure. But, yeah, it's fun. And because it's short and everything like that, it's, e you know, it's easy enough to dip in and test, right? See, yeah, something I could watch. Okay, I'll watch it. You know, just do that. Or not. Who cares, people? <laughs> Life's too short. Right, so, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, probably everywhere else in the world, right? But, um, CBS All Access in the States, but, um, yeah, Star Trek Lower Decks. Hmm, I definitely preferred this than Season 2 of Discovery, because I couldn't get into that, haven't finished that, so, um, that tells you something, right? But, um, yeah, there you go, check it out, have fun. Okay, people, so, um, yeah, that's it for part one, hope you've enjoyed it, but there is still more, so go over to part two for our conversation with the very interesting and talented Joellen Naughty, people, go do that now. <laughs>